911, what's the nature of your emergency? Good morning, police, fire, military, and families, and to everybody who is listening in on the Tactical Living Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton, and in front of me, I have Deputy Tom Lee. Sir, how are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for waking up to join me this morning. I know you were kind of bantering with me back and forth yesterday, saying that it is way too early. And you're oh, in Texas. Yeah. I don't wake up until nine o'clock in the morning. What's well, the I feel <laughs> I feel incredibly privileged and um, your dog, your dog is laying right next to you. Definitely knocked out and (laughs) clearly not used to waking up this early either. So for that, I thank you. Um, You work in mental health, a detail that not many people work in in law enforcement. And I think that is super incredible. And we're going to get into that um, in a little bit. But essentially, there's a good chance that you and I could not even be talking right now because of something that happened to you in your career in law enforcement. So if you could just get into a little bit of your background, your story, and then um, that incident. And you also have some pictures I have up here that we're going to share to kind of give everybody that's watching. And we'll do our best to describe it for everybody that's listening on the podcast, a better idea of um, exactly what happened to you. All right. So a little bit about me. I... uh started in law enforcement as a dispatcher back in 2002. I went through the police academy in 05 and been a police officer since 05. So about 15 years on as a police officer, 18 total years. Uh, I now work for a sheriff's office and I'm assigned to the local mental health authority which uh deals with that they have the state jurisdiction over mental health in four a four county area in the southeast texas region uh there's about 10 of us that do what i do in this area uh houston's kind of the the mega center for for mental health they started their mental health program back in the early 2000s um so anyway i'm doing mental health we anybody that's in psychosis or anybody that's suicidal or people that have voices telling them to go kill other people whatnot uh, i normally get those calls so it was uh, last year, about, I'm just going to say it was in June because it was, I responded to a call of a guy, which his dad actually called me a couple weeks prior and said that he was worried about his son, but I was in a school at, the, at that point in time, so I was like, hey, are you thinking he's wanting to hurt himself or anything? And the guy was like, no, I just want you to come talk to him. Like, okay, if, if he does try to hurt somebody or something, call the sheriff's office. So we uh, took and went to uh, – or I, I showed up to work that day, and immediately when I got to the sheriff's office, I got a phone call from the dad saying, hey, my son – 
he he flipped out last night. Uh, he was calling me, wanting me to to borrow my cell phone because there's a a phone tower out back that he thought the cartel was able to send uh, out shockwaves and 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 shot people. And he lit all our bell hay bells on fire and whatnot. So I just want you to come out and talk to him and, and get him some help. So me and my partner headed out there. And as soon as we got to the scene, just things didn't feel right. And so so I'm normally dressed like I am now. You don't mm-hmm. see me wearing a tack vest. I'm wearing blue jeans. I'm just just normal every day. But because of the way the family was acting, I went ahead and threw on my tack vest and and I was like, eh, I don't want anybody to get hurt. So and and the dad was like, okay, he lives if you go up to the next driveway, we'll follow you down there and, and whatnot. So we went up there and it was the dad actually, instead of following me, went around the property and he was already up there. So we went up there and the dad started knocking on the door and banging on the door and telling the son, hey, you need to come out here and talk to these guys. And the son was just like, go away. I'm going to call the sheriff's office. About a minute of the dad knocking on the door or so since he was saying, hey, I'm going to call the sheriff's office. I was like, okay, hey. And I knocked on the door and said, all right, is uh, it's the sheriff's office. I'm here to talk to you. You said you were going to call us, so we're here. I, I hope it's okay to pause you really quick because I know where this story is going and I know everybody that's listening um, doesn't, but what was going through your mind in that moment when you're going to approach the this guy, you have no idea what's going on. And then the dad starts to walk around and go a different way as you're trying to, to meet and to see what the heck is even going on. Well, I normally kind of keep it because I'm, of course, every day I'm going to these situations. So it's, it's not a big thing to me. I just, I just want it nice and slow and approach and, and just calm and everything like normal. Mm-hmm. The dad really kind of hyped it up some because he was wanting us to get help for his son. Of course, the dad didn't know whether the son had killed himself in there or whatnot. So the dad was really, really emotional. That's probably the best word. He mm-hmm. was really emotional instead of going into it calm, cool, and collected. So, uh, I mean, it, it it was a little bit more of a tense situation than what I I normally like the situations I'm going into to go. Got it. So then, what happened? Okay, so as I start knocking on the door. The guy just, he he goes from being a little bit angry at his dad to just screaming and yelling, get off my effing property, you can't be here, leave. And of course, I'm, I'm talking through him, through the door, telling him, hey, 
I'm just here to talk to you. I don't want to, I don't want to arrest you or anything like that. I just, I want to talk to you. I want to get you some help. And he's still yelling and screaming. And then all of a sudden we heard him like rest, rustling around inside the place. And he goes, do you want me to come out? I was like, Hey man, I just want to talk to you. Come out and, and let's, let's have a talk. And he repeated it, I, th- I believe, three times. He was like, do you want me to come out? I was like, yeah, I just want to talk to you. And then he was like, okay, are you ready? And he kicks open the door. And the door opened outward. And I'm standing to the side of the door. And I look in the door to see him pointing a crossbow straight at me. <sighs> so, of course, I don't – I my gun's holstered and whatnot. So I take off running down the side of this. Let's back up the, his house was actually a Connex trailer. Hmm. So to give you a little perspective of what this house was. So I start running down the side of the Connex trailer as I was pulling my gun and I look back behind me over my shoulder and, and I guess I put my arm up also as I was looking back. And about then, I just hear this slight noise. When I did, my arm and the side of my face right here just burned. So I knew that I'd just been shot with an arrow. Is uh, it okay if we show um, some pictures that you've shared with us? Yeah, you can show those. You can... Um... Continue to talk if you want to as I pull these up. So I, I'm i pretty sure that I fired a shot at him to get him just to, to leave me alone. Uh, these are pretty insane to look at. That is an incredibly deep gash. We have one of, um, for everyone listening in on the podcast, what we're looking at right now is kind of the aftermath. There's not an arrow stuck in you, but there is certainly evidence of what had happened. And um, just, I'm guessing this is a towel or your shirt here. Bloody taser. Just a mess, a complete mess. And um, that just looking at this, I can't believe there's so many things, right? Number one, that you're standing after just being shot by a crossbow in your head, there's blood dripping down everywhere. How close this was to other orifices, right? Your eye is just um, maybe two inches from where where you were shot at here. And this this is just your head. I don't see any pictures here of you were also shot in the arm. So um, thank you so much for sharing those those with us. And um, what happened after you realized that like so- something isn't right? Uh, well, immediately because I was I was already pulling my gun so immediately just from the hill I took a shot and he he started running and then I ran up to the door and he he was still running away from me and he was running towards a grove of trees so I was like okay he's trying to get to a safe place so he can reload and come back at me and and about that time, I see him pulling out a big machete. And I just went ahead and, and 
shot him because I knew that if I didn't, he was going to take and either attack me or attack my partner or attack his family. Or when the other cops showed up to take and, and start the pursuit, he was going to come running at them and attack them. So I was like, I've just got to stop it. I can't let him attack anybody else. Mm-hmm. So he, I, sh- I shot him as he, as he was running away from me. Uh, you just got shot in the head. You know that you got shot in the head by a crossbow. And I'm just wondering, how did you have the whereabouts to be able to still act accordingly in uh, this high intense situation like that in order to secure safety? It, it was just, I'm not going to let them do it, something to somebody else. I mean, it, it, it was for more safety for everybody else, including myself, but, but the family, cause I had the guy's mother, his dad, they're divorced. I think it was her new husband plus my partner and me. So I had five people that I was worried about. And of course, as soon as I said on the radio that, something happened i had units from all over coming to me so it, it was either ended there or it was going to be a bigger issue hmm. tom in hearing that story and the new push to have social workers only handling incidents that relate to mental illness how do you see that panning out i really see it panning out more where they're going to mix it and it's going to be more like my function because w- one thing that I didn't say is that my partner here isn't a law enforcement officer. Hmm. She is a social worker. And so she's unarmed. She doesn't have anything uh, to protect herself or anything else. So I'm her protection in these calls. So we, we kind of do a half and half. There's, there's someone there or she's there to do all mental health stuff. And I'm there to do the law enforcement side of mental health. So I think a lot of the question then is like, is that realistic? Is it realistic to maybe just have sent your, your unarmed partner, um, a social worker out to a call like that? No, I, I would, if I wouldn't have been there, I can't say what would have happened, but you have unarmed people dealing with this armed guy that comes out of nowhere and who knows she she may have been dead she may have been cut up uh it very much the movie patch adams if you if you know that movie at the end where they go to the guy with mental illness's house all alone and he ends up killing her that 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 happens frequently in mental in the mental health world so i mean there's been a rule for the longest time at the local mental health authority that nobody goes alone there has to be two people so yeah and this is a perfect example why for everybody that is just hopping on here. I'm just going to share one more time. Tom was just telling us about 
an incident that he had went out on where there was a man who was suffering from a mental health crisis, clearly. And um, long story short, you can go back and listen to the replay, but Tom was shot in the head with a crossbow, which um, just blows my mind. And we're just so glad that you're okay, Tom. I can't stress that enough. And here in the comments, um, good morning, everybody. We will have more dead people that could have been prevented. Law enforcement is needed, even if people don't believe that they are needed. And how do you think that the mental health crisis should be handled, given your experience, Tom? Well, I mean, I think we do the best job possible especially with my group because i mean we don't dress as cops we don't we try to come out there and and i mean you you know i'm a cop so i still have a badge and gun and, and handcuffs but i wear a non sometimes i have a, a logo shirt on sometimes i don't uh i'm wearing jeans i'm trying i'm real laid back i'm just talking why T tell tell the listeners why you dress that way well, there, there's a, a stigma that goes along with mental health, and it's, oh, wow, the cops are there, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I, I drive a unmarked Tahoe where, I mean, you can still tell it's a, a police vehicle, but nobody's going to be like, what's there? Who is that? They don't know whether I'm the sheriff's office, a police department, the, the FBI. They don't know who I am or what I'm doing. So, uh, and there's a lot of HIPAA rules where I can't tell anybody. Uh, I'm under an agreement with the local mental health authority that I will fall under HIPAA. Yeah. So, yeah, we don't always um, think about e that either. The medical kind of cross components of law enforcement when it comes to dealing with mental health. Um, wow, it is awesome that this guy took the damage and fought on as a warrior that he is 100%. Tom, in the comments here, they're asking, what was her response to that? Her meaning your your partners when all of this was happening? Well, I saw a huge, I mean, when I look back you know, and I was looking at him, I, I could see her off to the side and she just like had her mouth held open. And at, at some point in time, I just told her, run go go hide let me take care of this but you just run and hide uh so yeah. um here they say i truly believe that we need more training on how to handle mental health illness mm -hmm. but most of us usually talk people down without even realizing that's what we're doing <laughs> he's shushing his dog contrary to popular belief we don't just want to kill people we truly wish to help. If anyone is in this job just to kill, they need to be found out and taken off the job. Absolutely. And we know what a rarity that is, right? Uh, this job is for those who truly care about their fellow man, no matter what their skin care, creed, religion, or sexual orientation, 1000%. So in bringing up that topic of um, even officers identifying that there is this need, this growing need, I would, I would argue, for increased mental health training in law enforcement, what would you, what would you say to that? Well, I, I'm actually the first week of November, I'm teaching at the police academy, uh, a class that came out of the death of Sandra Bland. So now, and I don't know if y'all are familiar with it being out of state, uh, there was an incident over in Prairie View 
with a college student where a trooper here arrested her for not using her her turn signal and she resisted arrest when because she didn't want to sign the ticket she whatnot uh she had a really bad piss poor attitude and the officer decided to oblige her with his own piss poor attitude and they got in a little squirm squirmish about that she ended up kicking the officer uh so she ended up going to jail well while she was at the jail like a day later she decided to kill herself in the jail which opened all sorts of stuff for them and the legislature here decided to make a law uh called the sandra bland act and with it 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 actually delved into several uh, areas of law enforcement. But one of those was training. Uh, They upped for the Texas officer. You now, to get your intermediate license, you have to have a 40-hour mental health course, uh, one of which I teach, and I'm teaching it at the academy the first week of November, along with my group of people. So, what are some of those? I'm just curious, out of my selfish curiosity, what are some of those main components, those main highlights that you will be teaching when it comes to further educating law enforcement on mental health? What are some of the things that maybe someone that's listening isn't going to take your class in November that they can maybe try to seek out on their own? So, like the first day, we have some of the mental health professionals that were with us that teach about all the different disorders that are out there. Um, let me get the, the schedule real fast and I can tell you exactly. I think it's so so interesting and actually really cool. And I, I would hope that more departments are taking on, um, I know Texas in particular, it's very prominent with the mental health, just as it is here in California. And then of course, growing all across the nation. But I would hope that, we do see increased training when it comes to this, because that very first point of what you just said is just identifying the different types of mental health ailments. Those are not those are not things that most officers are privy to in terms of certainly generic training, right? Yes. So so the schedule, the first day, there's the introduction and orange origins of the training, which they'll talk somewhat about the Sandra Bland Act and why it came about and and the history of mental health and how we got to where we are today. Then they talk about anxiety disorders, mood disorders, personality disorders, uh, cognitive disorders, uh, psychotic disorders, and substance use disorder. That's that's the first day. Uh, the second day, we have a guy that specializes in uh intellectual and developmental disabilities. IDD uh, used to be called retardation or autism. Uh, He comes in and and talks about that. And then after lunch, they do trauma, PTSD, veterans and law enforcement, and homelessness with victims. On Wednesday, Suicide and crisis takes up half the day. 
and then I'm teaching crisis de-escalation and roadside intervention. And then on Thursday, they have a mental health and law enforcement class, which is basically talks about the laws of Texas that govern mental health and, mm-hmm. and how, how to do a what we call an EDO. Uh, it's an emergency detention order where the law allows us to take somebody that has a mental health issue that's a danger to themselves or others and force them to go to the hospital. Hmm. So they spent a day talking about all that. And then on Friday, we come in and do scenario scenario trainings with them and put them through scenarios based on some of the stuff that we've seen. That's awesome. That is amazing. Um, Mental health not only affects the people that we deal with, but it also affects the people in the department. Absolutely. Having training will help us to recognize any problems with the people that we work closely with and treat as family. That's a very, very good point. How have you seen that kind of piggyback, Tom, with regards to your experience and your training in mental health, not only with the civilians, the community, but then how it might be internalized in terms of identification or even helping your brothers and sisters that are in your, your department or or even in your family? Well, I mean, it envelops everything. I mean, now I can kind of spot it a lot easier. And, and there's a different way of talking to people. A lot of questions, like like you stop asking why. Well, why are you feeling that way? It's like, hey, what made you feel that way? Just Just little things like that, because even though it seems like Asking why isn't a big deal, but there's always a little bit of shade that you're putting on it with that. And if you learn to like rephrase things and and address things from a little bit different angle, it makes you seem to have more empathy, whether you you had just as much empathy regardless of how, how it was said, but people don't like how you come off. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I want to play devil's advocate here in handling mental health illness as a police officer. We open ourselves up to huge liability for something that is not a crime, but a medical issue. Should police really be responsible for handling those types of situations? Secondly, why should we, if there is not an immediate danger to others? And I'm going to interject here because you have a medical issue. Yes. But then this is also turning into the potential. And in Tom's case, almost lethal. And in many cases, since, truly lethal instances where it does turn criminal. So I'll let you answer that, Tom. Well, I just say that the law allows us to, uh, in the health and safety code here in the state of Texas, it says that if a police officer deems a person a danger to themselves or others by reason of a mental health disorder, then that officer needs to, Oh, time for me to wake up (laughs) so that officer has to take a person to the place designated by the mental health authority as a place to keep that person safe or other safe it's not always suicide sometimes it's homicide that people are thinking Uh, i mean i can't just have somebody running that around with voices telling him to kill you and him actively 
wanting to follow the direction of the voice that's going to take and kill you. How how safe would you feel if, if police job is to protect people? How protected do you feel if I just let you, somebody come at you that's saying that he's going to kill you? And I, that definitely, and I can't tell who asked that question, but that definitely answers um, in particular your second question there. And um, it says here, definitely not, we need, we not definitely do not think we should be responsible for that. So where does that, where does that line get drawn then in your opinion and in your experience, Tom, as a police officer? And, you know, I'm thinking about it and it's not just mental health. When you're a police officer, you're out there in the community that you're serving and you're dealing with this very colorful array of different profiles. And it's not just mental health, but in my opinion, it is still your responsibility to to go out there. And like you just said, like, I wouldn't, I, I know what it's like to be in a situation where my my life is in danger because somebody who is, you know, has some mental health issues going on um, was very much wanting to to take my life or, or do something else to me. I know what that feels like. And in that very same instance, um, I wouldn't have expected the officers to just walk away from me. I recorded a podcast about this when that whole clown debauchery was going on and we thought it was propaganda for the movie It. And I was alone by myself at five o'clock in the morning um, in a parking lot doing getting ready to work. And one of those those clowns just so happened to meet me face to face and um, kind of put me stuck in a situation where I had. I had no choice. I was incredibly vulnerable and I could not have imagined the officers coming out there and just having been like, you know what, sayonara. He, he does have some something going on mentally, but you know what, we can't help you and fuck your safety, right? Because essentially that's what the officers would have been saying to me. And that's where I, I get passionate because I've experienced this personally on the other side of the spectrum about it. There there is a need. It is your job as a police officer to ensure the safety of the community that you serve. And if you're just turning the cheek, because we're not saying it's your responsibility to treat these civilians just like like their patients. You you don't have the skills. You do not have the licensure to be able to do that. However, they they're, they coexist with each other when you have the the safety um, really at the peak of what it is that that we're talking about here. So. I think that's very important to to bring up. And I understand why you don't think it's your responsibility um, for liability reasons, especially nowadays where we have police officers literally getting their arms twisted more and more with with what it is that you can and can't do. So I didn't address the liability I, and I, I was getting there in the state of Texas, in the health and safety code, it states that a police officer acting in good faith based on the or based on the code where they're taking somebody for a mental health evaluation is not the police officer himself is not liable for if he gets it wrong nor is the agency liable because mm-hmm. they were acting in good faith I, I wish that um, more laws, especially in states like California, were like that because they're certain they're certainly not here. Um, in South Carolina, we always respond with the MS and deputies do the pickup orders. Sometimes it takes us working with DSS, EMS, hospital staff, and the family to get the person suffering the help that they need. Most of the time, if we are called, there's a need for us. And most officers are able to sift through the bullshit and are able to not involve ourselves in family issues that doesn't require law enforcement and at least the transporting 
for that, for sure. Um, so in your opinion then, and it, it, it's so tricky because Texas is so unique in terms of the legalities versus so many other states, but where do you see this progression of, let's just say the, the two topics of law enforcement and mental health going in the future before we wrap this up? Well, I, I, and I said that so, soon as all this stuff started happening with George Floyd and, and whatnot, I was like, okay, that, that just, because I'm, I'm a grant funded position. I was like, that just assures that I'm going to get more grant funding. So I'll have my job come next year, the year after, and they'll probably increase the funding to get more people like me. Uh, that's where I see this going is that more officers are going to be assigned with mental health professionals to answer these calls because they there's times that I'm sitting there doing nothing. And then the other times we'll have three or four calls going that are all mental health calls, but I can only be one place at one time. So I'll go answer the one call and patrol deputies are having to answer the others. So, so I'm, I'm wondering then, wouldn't it then make sense to have more mental health law enforcement officers as opposed to having a mental health specialist going out onto these calls with the assistance and essentially the security guard of an officer? And I'm not saying that condescendingly, but what I'm saying is that your duty then would be to ensure the safety of that other individual. So why not just kill two birds with one stone and have more mental health officers out there? I can agree with that. I to provide the training to the officers. I know in my case, my partner, we, we work really good together and I do most of the talking. I don't know why that is, but I end up doing all the talking and she just sits back there and documents everything. So sometimes the, the person will say stuff that I don't even catch and my partner will catch and she'll be like, hey, you said this. What did you mean by that? And I'd be like, he said that? I didn't, I didn't hear that. I just get that for, we've been doing it for almost two years now. And when we're sitting there talking, or I read the note that she writes, I'll be like, I didn't hear that. But you heard it. So, and you see where you're so focused on one thing or, or, that you don't get the whole picture. So it works better when she's sitting back there or, or somebody's sitting back there, listen and, and can pick up on those because we, we're always thinking like the, what's our next question? Where are we going with this? What, what do we have? And we're not processing the whole thing. Whereas if, if somebody's there with you, they they can kind of sit back and, and process everything that's going on. That's the reason why when you see hostage negotiators and, and I'm trained in hostage negotiation, there's normally three or four of them on a scene because you, you want somebody listening. You, get, you want someone talking and then they're passing passing ideas back and forth because the person listening is doing nothing but listening. He's not talking. So he's picking up on, on subtle clues, subtle hints, other things that are out there. Hmm. 
So in, in Oklahoma, we respond to the call. It's fit. We take them to the emer- into emergency custody, take them to the hospital to be evaluated, and then we transport to the facility. My only issue is that once cleared from the hospital, sending an officer in our case three or four hours on a trip with a mental health patient just seems like we should responsive it should be the responsibility of someone who is specifically fit to handle that situation either way we do it yeah um that's what we address so when you go on and take them for an evaluation my partner out in the field is already doing that evaluation so if we take somebody to the hospital almost always they end up going into the behavioral hospital Whereas when a regular police officer takes somebody to the hospital, it's for an evaluation. So they call somebody like my partner to come up there and talk to them and and find out what's going on with them and whether they need an inpatient facility or an outpatient setup to help them along their way. And we, we're already doing that out in the field. So we save the only people that are, that I take to the hospital are the ones that are actually going to be admitted. Hmm. Do you happen to know any of the stats then for the, the inpatient reduction when you guys started this program there? I could get those. I, well, my if, boss if you had to guess, that, if you had to guess, I, what would you say? There... I can tell you that I probably am able to divert 25, 30% of the people, maybe more from going, from taking them to the hospital to just giving them outpatient resources Hmm. and, and getting them set up with a doctor. And, and now I've got people that trust me. There's, there's a specific gentleman that, when he feels himself go, he's got schizophrenia. When he feels himself sliding back and starting to to see and hear things, he calls me. Hey, we've got a problem, and I can I can make phone calls to the local mental health authority because they have psychiatrists there, and I have access to call them. And say, hey, we need to make this guy an appointment. We need to get him in and get him seen before I have to take him to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah, networking like that is certainly key. Wow. You just dropped us so much value and so much information. I know that mental health, especially in law enforcement, is um, a hot topic. And it is certainly one that deserves more transparency, more open dialogue and questions. So I appreciate everybody who who has posed those to, to Tom. And Tom, I thank you so much for spending the morning with us. And it is always such a pleasure. And um, thank you for sharing your story. We are so grateful for you and your life and your spirit to still still be here. And I am incredibly proud of you and all the work that you do. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me on. I'm going to continue doing what I do. It's great. Amazing. Have a good day. All right.